Good morning, church. How is everyone? Good. Let's just raise our hands before the Lord this morning and prepare our hearts to, to receive the word of God. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Father, for your word, for your kingdom, even as we've been in this series around your kingdom. Father, that you would impress upon our heart the things, Lord, that, that you would desire us to know and understand this morning. Mold our hearts before you, Lord, that we would be receptive to your will, to your purposes in our life. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that touches each person today. I thank you, Father, that you are changing us in your midst and in your glory, even as we look into your word, that, Father, we see the reflection of Jesus Christ and we understand that that's who we are created to become, that we are created in your image, Father, that we are changed from glory to glory, strength to strength. We speak strength over your children today, and I speak wisdom over your children, Father, revelation, Father, the spirit of revelation and understanding. We thank you, Father, that you hold nothing back that every good thing is there for us and at our disposal, that you don't hold anything back from your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been in a, a uh, series about the kingdom, thy kingdom come. And I want to start off this morning in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. So if you'll turn with me there uh, to Isaiah, chapter 9. Yep, there I am. <laughs> I'm a little bit behind, aren't I? But we've talked about uh, receiving the kingdom of God. We've talked about how every person is called into the kingdom of God. And at our entrance into the kingdom of God, that is our salvation experience. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, then what we're really doing is bowing our knee to Jesus Christ, calling him the Lord of our life, which means that we answer the call of him being our master and we're agreeing to the covenant of his word. And I know many times come in, many people come into uh, salvation just based upon the knowledge of him washing their sins away. But we also need to realize that it is a covenant, that we're coming into a kingdom. And that kingdom comes and lives on the inside of us. And it's a, it's a marvelous thing because this government, this kingdom, is to operate from the inside out of us. And so that's what he's called us to do. And we got into the the idea of the blessing and how the blessing back in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 through 28, and he talks about how God blessed him. He made man in his image, man and male and female, and he blessed them. And then he gave them the commission of of multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it, having dominion. And so that blessing that came upon them was actually the ability to do what he called them to do. He didn't just say, go multiply and, and replenish the earth, fill it up and subdue and have dominion. But I'm not going to give you the power to do that. He gave them the power, the ability, and that was 
the blessing. The blessing now lives. And, and then, of course, you know, God, God saw Abraham and he blessed Abraham. He saw Jacob and he blessed Jacob. It is the blessing that flows. Many times we're looking for the blessing on the outside of us, but the blessing is to flow from the inside. When we flow from the inside out, then we're actually creating our atmosphere, not allowing someone else's atmosphere to come upon us as a blessing. Does that make sense? Because if you're waiting for someone to bless you, then all you're doing is waiting for what they were able to create to come upon you and their blessing came upon you and 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 gave you uh, something that was good does that make sense but if you learn how to live with the blessing flowing out of you then you're creating your own world you're creating your own atmosphere that's what God told them to do in the beginning to be fruitful, to multiply. It starts with being fruitful in our life. And then we multiply that fruit. And then we replenish or fill the earth. We distribute that to others. And then we subdue it and have dominion. And so everything goes back to the very beginning, chapter 1. But I want to I talk about this kingdom, this government that God has given to us. Um, but in chapter 9 of, of Isaiah... Verse 6, because let me stop here for a second, because we also, I want to remind you too, that we also talked about how without government, there is chaos. Anytime there is chaos, it is lack of governing in a person's life or in a system, in a, in a nation, whatever, whatever institution it is, whether it's the institution of a person, of an individual, of a family, of a workplace, a work environment, of a nation or a place, a state, whatever it may be. If, it, if there's chaos, it's lack of government, lack of law, lack of authority, or lack of uh, power being uh, done in that area because of lack of government. So, and all of this is going to tie in together as you're listening to this. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, for Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplishment, accomplish this. So the government rests upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. The increase of that government or kingdom is given to him but we are also part of that kingdom. That kingdom has been passed on to us because he says, I bestow or I confer on you a kingdom. He has given us that responsibility to do what? To advance the kingdom on this earth. So through the, the word of God, through authority, and through uh, the power of God, these things are done. Where do those elements come from? 
Well, if you look back in the Old Testament, you'll see, and of course you can see it summed up in, in Hebrews 9.4, where three elements were, were put in the Ark of the Covenant whenever God told them in Israel, in the wilderness, to, to build an ark. And his presence would go with them throughout the wilderness. And he would lead them by his presence. And in this ark, three things were put. And it was the law, the law of Moses, the manna that was given to them to eat during that time. It was supernatural, supernatural manna. And then the rod of Aaron's staff, which symbolizes authority. These three things were given to them and put in the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat was put upon the Ark of the Covenant, and the presence of God led them throughout the wilderness during those 40 years. And then even from that point, the, the presence of God was to give them uh, understanding, guidance, wisdom as they continued to go into the promised land and to lead them into victory after victory. But these three things are very symbolic because it's no longer carried around in the Ark of the Covenant anymore. Guess where it's carried? In us. Because we have become the temple of the living God. So these three things are given to us. They are part of the kingdom inheritance. So you as a child, co-heirs with Christ, Christ is your elder brother, and he, we are co-heirs with him. We are to co-labor with God. And by doing this, these three things are given to us, and these are the three things that I want to touch on. And I probably won't get through all three today, but we will begin to go through them. But there are... When you talk about any kingdom at all, any kingdom, there are four things that are required in any kingdom. They have to be present or it's not going to be successful. One, if you're going to, you can't have a kingdom without subjects, right? Without people. I mean, you can, you can call yourself the king of something, but if you have nobody following you, you really don't have a kingdom. You know, it's, you, you, it's just you. You're not ruling over anything. But a kingdom has to have subjects. A kingdom also has to have authority. So there's things of authority in there. A kingdom also has to have power. And a kingdom also has to have laws. So our governments, our systems of this world are set up according to the design of God. And so all of these things, if anything is missing there, you do not have a sufficient kingdom. And so this kingdom that we have, God gives us these three elements that live inside of the fourth element, which is us. We are a subject of the kingdom of God. And then these three elements, the law, which is written on our heart, the power of God and the authority of God is living on the inside of us. And so we're to use these things to do what? To advance the kingdom of God. Am I making sense so far? Okay. All right. So... In these things, let's go ahead and talk about the first one we're going to go over is the law, which we could refer to it as the law, the covenant, or the commandments, but those were, or principles. Uh, th these were the things that, this was uh, the law that was represented in the Ark of the Covenant by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were put into the Ark of the Covenant. But these are the principles that we're to follow in life. It is the Word of God, the law of God. And I know many times people think of the law as following a bunch of rules, but that's really not what's going on. If you need to think of it for a moment as principles or covenant, 
it's it's a it's almost a better way of thinking of it because when you think of principles, you typically think of if I follow this principle, then I get this out of it. If I do these things, then this happens. And so when we follow the principles of God, then blessing happens in our life. Good things happen in our life. Protection happens in our life. So we have to be in a place where we're willing to humble ourselves to the word of God. Because if not, then we're, if we're not willing to humble ourselves before the word of God, and, and instead of, well, in fact, let's just go ahead and read through that. Let's flip over to Matthew, because Jesus gives us a very good example of this. In Matthew chapter 7, he gives us a story about the wise and foolish builders. But the law of God, the principles of God, are needed for success, for truth, and for protection in our life. Verse 24 in chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Now to many this might just sound like a story. But this really has a lot to do with how we set up our lives. So if we listen to the word of God and listen only but never do, then he says we're like the foolish man that has built his house or his life upon the sand. And as soon as the rains come, as soon as the storm comes, Jesus wasn't saying if you build your life right, then there will never be storms. He wasn't saying that. But what he was saying was if you build your life right and when the storms come, then it, will not, it won't beat your house down. Your house will not collapse. But if you do not do the words of God, then he's saying if you hear it only but never put it into practice, when the rains do come, the house will crash. And many times we think of this in a whole, like, okay, well, yeah, I received the word of God. You know, I, I, I read my word. I hear it. I go to church. But are we doing, whenever we take it down into bite-sized pieces, the small things, the revelations that we receive, are we putting them into practice? Because it's not enough just to have a general idea and an understanding of the word of God. And whenever we talked about receiving the word of God, we talked about when we hear the word of God, we must receive like a little child. That means we can't sit there and say, yeah, but, uh, you know, I don't think that necessarily works. A child receives in faith. You could tell them uh, something, a three-year-old something, and they'll believe with eyes of anticipation. And they'll... You know, it's the world that taints us. It's as we grow older, it's the world that, that taints a child. They learn not to trust. They learn uh, to be guarded. They learn that not everybody means what they say. 
And as a result, then a child grow up, will grow up and, and begin to harden themselves or uh, the enemy will use things and pull them off track. But really, when it comes to the word of God, we know that it's absolute truth. We can receive it in faith. And we can't receive it like we're receiving it from a person on this earth. We have to receive it with a fullness of faith, with no doubting in our heart. And what he says is absolute truth. So we don't sit there and go, yeah, but I don't think he means it for this. Yeah, but he means it for someone else, but not for me. So when we hear the word of God, are we receiving the kingdom concept, that particular concept? It's like I said, it's not just one big, huge kingdom. We receive the kingdom by principles, by concepts. Yes, it's given. The whole kingdom is given to us, but it, the enlightenment of the kingdom comes through principles, precept upon precept. That's why we can go our whole life and never still come to the full knowledge and the understanding of the word of God. We're always growing. We're building upon each precept. And so it says here, if you put them into practice, if you hear the words, it's just like in James where it says, do not be hearers only, but doers. We have to practice the word of God. That means when we hear it, that means there has to be a shift in what's going on, that we don't just continue the same way. There is a shift. When we become Christians, our lives should begin to look different. Even at 20 years, there, there should still be differences in our lives. Even at 40 years, there still should be evident changes in our life. And if we come to a place where we're like, oh, no, I've been a Christian for a long time. I know it all. Then, then we, we're messing up because we have to shake ourselves sometime and say, hey, I've been stagnant. I'm, I haven't been in a place of learning. I haven't been in a place of counsel or wisdom. I haven't been in a place where I'm receiving the word of God in faith. I've got to shake myself up. I have to receive and kind of mentally shake that off and begin to receive again. What's standing in my way? What is hindering me? What's causing me to, to just let this roll off of me? And it's not impacting my heart. We've got to let it impact our heart. In fact, if you look at the parables, most of the parables go back to how we receive the word. When Jesus told the parables, he talked about the, the mustard seed that's receiving the word in faith and, and that faith growing into a, a great tree. But the smallest seed grows into a great tree. The, the parable of the ten virgins there were five wise and five foolish. Five of them didn't adhere to the word. Five of them didn't keep their lamps burning. They were still, they were, they were virgins, but somewhere along the line, they got lazy. There's the parable of the sower. You can read time and time again, parables most of the time had to do with how do you receive the word of God? There was even the, the parable of, of the, the vineyard where there were servants that killed the prophets that, that came to tell about Jesus. They killed the servants of God. Well, what was that? They had the look of religion, but they denied the power thereof. They were caretaking God's vineyard, but they had become abusive and cruel and legalistic. And so they rejected the servants of God. They rejected the word of God. So how we receive the word has everything to do with the kingdom 
of God operating in us and through us, outside of us. So he says, when we put it into practice, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because why? Because the foundation was built upon the rock. So when we build our lives on the foundation of the word, when we build our lives according to the principles of God's word, then it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. It can blow as hard as it wants to blow. But if we will stand firm on the word of God, holding to that word, then it cannot knock that house down. Where the enemy gets people is when people begin to operate in fear, and instead of staying firm on that rock, firm on the word, firm on what, what was uh, built on, they run outside of the house, and they, they are driven by fear. Oh, a storm's coming. Let's leave the house that is very firmly planted here. And they'll run out and be caught in the storm. Fear drives a person into a place of doubt where they begin to react not according to the word of God, but according to compromise. And God never stood up for those who compromised. You can read time and time again throughout the word of God. He stood for those that would not compromise, that stood in faith, faith and, and stood in the face of fear and said, I don't care what you throw at me. I don't care if you're, you're threatening me with a, a fiery furnace. I don't care if you're threatening me with chopping my head off or crucifying me or whatever it may be. I'm not moving. I am standing firm and I'm staying on the word of God. And then God steps in. Even a giant, a Goliath, David says, I'm taking you down today. He stood firmly on the word of God. What was that word? That anything that defies God's covenant is not able to stand. So David stood and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? This guy, you think God's going to stand for him? He's not even in covenant with God. Why would God stand and allow someone to live that's not in covenant and allow me to die who is in covenant? And so he stood firm on the word of God, knowing he had a covenant with God, knowing that he had the word of God in him. That's what caused him to stand. That's what caused him to see the victory through. We find our victory by standing and standing firm. Not running away. We, we many times can build the house and build the house and build the house, and then the second something comes, then we're running. Which really means... We've only been hearers only and not doers. So when the battle comes, when the storm comes, the sands shift and it knocks the house down. So we must be doers as well as hearers of the word. The very law and the very principle is the thing that protects our life. And if you think of that, it protects us because that it's like a wall being built up. The Bible says that he is our strong tower. He is our fortress, that the righteous run into it and they are saved. But if we run out of that tower, if we run out of the fortress, we're exposed to the elements of the enemy. But if we run to the strong tower, then we are kept safe. 
But many people are driven by fear. We can't be a people driven by fear. Just because an enemy stands at our face doesn't mean we run. We stand and stand firm. An army doesn't see their enemy come up over the hill and go, everybody run, turn around and run. No, they say, get your arms ready. Get your weapons ready, guys. Get in position. I mean, it was like the, the battle of, was it Gettysburg? And he, they said, don't, don't give a shot. Don't shoot until you can see the white of their eyes, which, I mean, that's pretty close because that's like somebody standing to that back wall to me. That's very close. They weren't running. They were standing firm. They were holding their place in the Lord. It's like Moses he stood at the Red Sea and held the staff out over the Red Sea. That sea looked like a giant. It looked like an impossible thing. And he held the rod over the sea, and he said, hold your peace. See what God's going to do for you today. Because these Egyptians you'll see no longer. That's a bold statement when the sea is still right there and it's, it's not parted yet. But when we stand firm on the word of God, see, we've got to be bold enough to, to declare it. We've got to be bold enough to speak it. We've got to be bold enough to shout it whenever we're standing around a battle uh, like Jericho and around those walls. And they shouted until they got the victory and the walls came down. But what did they do? They got the word of the Lord. They got the word of the Lord and then they went into battle and they did the word of the Lord. Many people... What happens is they get the word of the Lord and they say, okay, I'm going to go shout. And then they see it and then they go, okay, God, wait, what is, what, what, what's going on? I want it to come down and then I'll shout. Can you knock it down first and then I'll shout and get, you know, I'll praise you then. But he's not asking for that. He's saying, shout and I will give you the victory. He told Moses to speak to the rock. I mean, things that, there's no water coming out of it yet. Speak to the rock. He told Naaman to go dip in the water in the Jordan River before he was healed. Not get your healing and then go dip in the Jordan. Go dip in the Jordan and then you'll receive your healing. See, all of these things, it makes no sense. It's backwards in our head. It's backwards in our mind. But guess what? That's what faith is the whole idea of faith and when we're on when we're standing on the word of God that means that no matter what comes I'm not moving I'm not moving you're not shaking me from this spot you're not shaking me from my healing you're not shaking me from my victory you're not shaking me from this relationship you're not shaking me I'm not moved by my relationship with the Lord you can't move me out of this place because I stand firm on the word of God and my relationship and my covenant with him is unmovable when you think about laws there's there's laws of this earth there's physical laws we have economical laws I mean think about it there's things that we do if I spend more than I make isn't that a problem it, it starts going backwards right chaos destruction depletion all of those things when I go against a law that's established you're there's not going to be a victory it's the same thing, there's, there's physical laws. 
I can't, I can't throw a ball up in there and then, you know, think that it's not going to come down. There's physical laws in place. There's natural laws of this earth. There's laws to our, our body. I can't make a, a diet of Oreos and, and potato chips every day. It, it'll eventually catch up with me, right? It's a law. It's a law of nature. It's the law of our anatomy. Well, God has laws too. And if we don't adhere to the laws of God, and then we're going, God, why are you letting this happen to me? I'm not letting it happen to you. You're choosing that. But I wanted to live like this for 20 years. But if you choose to go against the laws of God, then you're coming out of protection of his covenant, out of protection of his word and his blessing. But if we choose to step into it and say, I'm not moving. From this day forward, I'm standing firm. From this day forward, I'm going to stay in the word of God. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. You know, it doesn't, I mean, being in pastoring, you can see, like, it doesn't take much for a lot of people to be pulled off from the things of God. Because all the enemy really has to do is just throw a little thing in there. Just one little thing. A health element, a financial element, but I have to, I have to work now. Or I'm not going to be able to, to pay my bills. But what about the law of God that says that we're to gather together, that we're to honor the Sabbath, that we're to come together and worship him? How are you going to keep your spiritual self strong? And if you don't trust him in that, then are you following the principle of God? Or the enemy will throw one little health element. Well, I can't, I, I can't do this now. Well, God, I know you told me to do this group, lead this thing. I know you told me to, you know, whatever it may be. I know you want me in church, Lord, but this thing right here is holding me back. And, Lord, you know, I'll do this when you do this for me. But again, it doesn't work like that. As you stand strong in the Lord, then he fights the battles for you. And the stronger you stand for him, the more you see his protection coming around you. The louder you, and I don't mean just, just verbally louder, but I mean by your actions, by your faith, the louder your faith is, the more you see him operating in your life. It's the principles of God that protect us. You know, I was talking to Minister Mar earlier this week, and we were just talking about being intentional in marriage and, you know, just uh, how you keep, even when things get busy, you know, we've had a couple of revival services over the last month, so things get busy. You know, you're meeting every night, and even outside of revival services, there's uh, things going on. There's meetings. There's uh, life groups. There's, you know, whatever it is, but it's like every day of the week, there's something going on. And I said, you know, even in those moments when it's difficult to maybe have uh, time together, it's the principles that protect us. 
It's the, it's the principles that we keep in place that have protected our marriage for 20-some years. Because there are certain things that we will not, e principles in speech, principles in action, principles in, in what we do, principles in our priorities. Like, we prioritize God. So in our life, God is sinner, which means Jesus gets the last say. So if we get out of whack with our attitude, guess what? That means we have to come back and apologize and, and, and come uh, into restoration together. Why? Because Jesus is our standard. The word is our standard, not the world. It's not about, well, you know, I have rights. It's not about my rights. It's about the word of God. It's about his standard. So we have to come back together and, and restore that according to what God says. So it's the, it's the principles of God that protect you whenever you put those things in place. But God didn't come down and say, okay, Brian and Miranda, I'm going to make sure that, that these principles are, are surrounding you. No, we have to do that. We have to be intentional about that. Even from the time that when we first got married, there were certain things we, we would never Ever. I don't think in all the years that we've been married, we've ever mentioned divorce. We even said before we got married, we're in this for the long haul. There is, div divorce is not an option, and we don't speak it. What does it do? It protects us in the sense that we don't, we don't walk away wondering, well, he, he mentioned that D word again. Does he really mean that? Is that, thing, is that what he's thinking? Because anything we throw out of our mouths, you know it, it's been in our head. It's been in our heart. So we got to uproot those things. There's certain things that we will not say to, to one another. There's certain actions that we have in place that protect us, how we treat one another. It doesn't mean that we don't disagree. There's disagreements, but there's principles that protect even the disagreements. Making sure that we don't harm each other in the process. <laughs> you guys can laugh. It's okay. Don't tell me you don't know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We've all been in those places. We've all been in, in moments where, you know, you're fussing on the way to, to church, and then all of a sudden you get out and put on your, your smiley face, and, and nobody would ever know anything's going on because you just, you know, good morning, how are you? Everything's good. It's wonderful. And five minutes ago you were, you were fussing over something. But then by the time church is over, then you're, you're back in the car and going, I'm sorry. I was having an attitude this morning. Or this is going on or that was going on. But it, that's the point. We come to church and, and, and we, we get our attitude corrected. In the presence of God, he speaks to us and says, hey, shape up. What do you think you're doing? Get this adjusted. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit pulls you back on track. But without that in our life, then we're just doing our own thing, answering to who? Because don't tell me that you're having your private sanctuary in your home. I know better. If you, don't, if you don't value this as a body and coming together and worshiping him in the sanctuary of God, 
I, I know you don't got it at home. All right. You can't get, you can't get mad. The enemy uses whatever we don't have a principle around to pull us out. Think about that for a second. The enemy uses whatever we do not have a principle around to pull us out. So if I don't have a principle around my relationships and who I hang out with, and I just let whoever hang around with me, then that begins to affect my thinking, and it begins to affect my decisions. It begins to affect what I say, what I do. My, I, I start even defending their ways because I'm starting to get pulled to that. And what happens is you start feeling for the person instead of understanding what is right according to the word of God. Well, you know, they've just had a hard life. They've had this, they've had that. It doesn't negate the fact that the word of God is always truth. So I have to keep the standard, the word of God. My job is to expand the kingdom, not to expand the kingdom of the enemy. So I have to keep myself pure and holy. There are times when, when people, you have to look at it like this. You've got to protect your inner circle. This isn't in my notes. I'm just going here for a second. Who you hang out with is what you will become. So you can look around you and say, the top five people I hang around, that's what I will begin to look like if I don't already look like that. So my inner circle, who is that? What do they do? How do they react? Do they love God? If they don't love God, then that's going to rub off on me. If they complain all the time, then I'm going to end up looking like that. If they cuss all the time, I'm going to end up doing that. If they drink all the time, I'm going to end up doing that. If they dress like they worship the devil, well, that's going to rub off on you. Because you'll end up looking like what you hang around. You don't go out to a restaurant and see four people sitting at the table in business suits, and then the third one is sitting there with black eye makeup and a hoodie and sitting there with a demonic look in their eyes. He's, he, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, you can walk into to that and know, like, what's up with that? Why is that guy with them? He doesn't look like he, you know, it's like the, the old Sesame Street thing. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things just isn't the same. It's kind of like that. It's easy to spot. It's like, what doesn't go here? And, you're <laughs> and you know, like, the well, that guy's probably not given like the business or the the you know wisdom advice there like is that a son of one of them that went astray like what happened <laughs> but the thing is when we guard who we hang around it's why we say iron sharpens iron because when you hang around christians it's going to make you sharp and i don't mean just any christian i'm talking about people that are on fire for god People that love the Lord. People that are not going to compromise. People that speak faith. People that are unmovable. That's why if it doesn't get preached from the pulpit, guess what you're going to look like? You will become even the type of church you go to. That's why it's important where you align yourself in every situation. 
because you will become what you hang around. The enemy uses whatever we don't have a principle around to pull us out. He can, if he can use a fence, he'll use a fence. Left and right, all the time. If I can get them to be offended over something and get them pulled out, then I'll use it. If I can get them to have some whatever right before church, some cough, some this, some that, and get them pulled out, well, then I'll use that. If I can get this, this one guy that hasn't been in contact with them for nine months, if I'll call him right beforehand, then I'll use that. If you could see in the spirit, if you could see in the spirit, you got to get a hatred for the enemy. You really do. Because if you get, could see in the spirit the things that he's assigning to you to pull you out, it w- your eyes would really be open. You'd be like, whoa, that wasn't just a coincidence. That was an assignment from hell. And it doesn't mean that person's from hell. Half the time, people don't even know they're being used. Most of the time, they don't. But they'll say something stupid to plant a seed in your head. Or they'll call you at just that moment because the enemy put, put that thought in their mind. Well, I'm going to call so-and-so. I haven't talked to them for 10 months. But today, I'm going to call them and see if they want to go out and get a drink. Today, I'm going to call them and see if they just want to get together and play cards. And Hello? Hey, you want to, you, you we haven't seen each other for so long. You want to get together? Oh, uh, well, I was getting ready to go to my life group tonight, but sure. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to go minister to them. We'll make it sound also spiritual and it really, we will really deceive ourselves into thinking that that's what's going on. I remember we thought that in the beginning. We're going to get our unsaved friends saved while they're drinking. I mean, stupid stuff that the enemy truly makes you think that you're going to expand the kingdom of God in the enemy's camp. I'm not saying that you can't be a witness at your work or the people that you're around. But what I am saying is when you keep the principles of God in place, these things are, they're they're not negotiable. I don't negotiate these truths in my life. I don't negotiate. I don't let, like, every little thing just take me off, and then people are going, where's, where's Minister Miranda? Where, you know, why didn't she come? I, I didn't come this morning on time because Pastor Brad took my keys and came, and I didn't have any keys to drive here this morning. <laughs> so he had to come and pick me up. I wasn't thinking about skipping church, and Pastor Brad had to come and say, no, Miranda, you really need to go. You're supposed to be preaching this morning. Now, come on. You need to, you know, get over this feeling that you don't feel like it, okay? That's another one. The enemy will use feelings, all kinds of feelings. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. He'll use feelings all day long. Well, I don't feel like it. Get over it. Get over your feelings. Tell your feelings how they need to be. I mean, seriously, we as Christians, the Christian nation, we have to be stronger than just feelings. 
I'm giving you some real truth here. And it's, I'm not, you know, it's because these are the things that will dictate our walk. These are the things that will dictate our faith walk. These are the things that will determine whether or not we receive something in faith. Because if you can just throw a feeling out there and you're feeling, why am I just feeling depressed? Why am I just feeling like I have no energy? Why am I just feeling this way? Well, you probably felt it about two hours before church started. You probably felt that way, you know, the hour before, and then all of a sudden, this just came on, and you're like, ugh, I'm just feeling junk. I'm just kind of feeling yucky. And if you don't kick it and you don't tell the enemy where to go, then he'll use it. Oh, that's an easy one. Feelings, feelings, every week, feelings. I've got feelings, and next thing you know, where are you at? And then you become a person on the on pastor's hotline. <laughs> What's going on? Where are you at? I haven't seen you for a while. I've been praying for you. But maturity is when you will make yourself adhere and adhere to the principles of God. And somebody doesn't have to come up behind you and go, hey, quit that. Hey, you need to, you need to do this. Why? Because it says in the word right here, this is what keeps you strong. This is, this is what's going to cause you to excel in your faith. If you, if you do this, then you're going to see that thing come to pass. Don't back up. Don't back up in faith. Stay strong. Stand your ground. Don't let go of that word. That word that we profess, hold tightly to it. Don't let it go. That's why the body of Christ is so important. Because if we're out there by ourselves, we'll let every little thing cause us to be adrift. And we'll just follow the current of whatever the enemy can use because we don't have a principle around that thing. Feelings are not allowed to tell me, and this might be uh, a little bit too much information, but I'm just telling you because there's ladies in here. In my home... That time of the month was never an excuse for me or my daughter. I wouldn't allow it. Because to me, because there's all kinds of females out there, well, you know, PMSing and PMSing, I don't care. Yes, I get the fact that there's, there's effects and there's feelings and there's, there's certain things that you feel at that time. Your chemicals are all out of whack, and I get that. More emotional, more tired, I understand that. And, yeah, there are times that I might lay down and take a nap. There's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, my attitude is not allowed to be out of whack. I can't just treat somebody how I feel like it because I'm in a mood and then, and then just be like, well, you know what? It's just, you know, I'm just PMSing, so I'm allowed, I'm allowed to be that way. No. It's not an excuse. And it's not an excuse for me to just do whatever and not adhere to my responsibilities. <laughs> oh, my. Praise the Lord. So do not, you know, the, the, the Old Testament talks about do not move the boundary stones that your forefathers had in place. But let me tell you, because this was something that was so, 
what God was saying is the things that have been drawn out, the inheritance that I've given to you, and there's boundary stones in place stating that here is the line of your inheritance. I'm giving you this inheritance, so don't give it up. Don't allow the enemy to come in and move that boundary stone and then squat there and say that it's his. But sadly, generation after generation, the boundary stones have been moved. So that means we, in our families, have to go out and locate those boundary stones. And when we find them and they've been moved, we've got to put them back into place. Because the spirit of intimidation will be the very thing. They'll say, no, nobody else does it like this anymore. You'll be the only one. If you move that, you're the only family doing that. You're the only family praying. You're the only family that won't let your kids do X, Y, Z. You're the family that's going to look different. And then kids come home and go, but mom, everybody else is. But mom, everybody else is allowed to go. But mom, everybody else is allowed to sit in front of the TV for 23 hours. And so as a result, we're like, oh, I don't want to look different. I don't want to seem like the hard parent. But the very thing that you choose to set the boundary, if it's according to the word of God, there will be a blessing that comes from it. And you may not have kids that thank you for it now, but they'll thank you for it later. My mom had had certain things. My parents had certain things in place that I was not allowed to do, that everybody else was allowed to do. And at the time, I probably wasn't that easy to get along with over it. (laughs) But later, I wrote them letters. Thank you so much for doing all these things and for making me be this way and not allowing me to look like everybody else. Because I realized it later, because when you're 10, as much as the government would like to give your 10-year-old all the liberty to do whatever they want and say, oh, but they're people and they can decide for themselves. No, their brains haven't developed. They don't have a bunch of wisdom when they come out at three. That's why they want to play in the road. That's why they want to throw rocks at each other. That's why they have to be taught. So letting them decide is not the best way. That's why it says parents train up a child in the way that they go. And then when they're older, won't depart from it. He didn't say, children, train your parents up. We have a responsibility. And it first starts with ourselves and then our family, and then we impart the kingdom of God into our families and into our homes. And then we begin to advance the kingdom of God into the other areas that we're at, at work, our locations, wherever we're at, we begin to advance the kingdom of God. And we allow his, his principles and his light to shine through us and be an example. And people will begin to see it. It's not an automatic thing. You have to stay the course. That's why these things have to be unnegotiables. They have to be put into place. Like, I don't lie. I don't swear. I don't take God's name in vain. I don't do this. I don't do that. It's because of principles. There are lines I will not cross. Even growing up, one of our children, I just about said it, 
but they both start with Z, so uh, you, you don't know for sure. But one of them had an issue. They wanted to lie about stuff all the time. And I said, you know what? And I showed it to them into the, in the Bible that lying, first of all, was a law of God that you didn't do. And second of all, in Revelation, it says that liars will go to hell. So it's not just some little thing that, oh, it's a little white light. No, there's a serious consequence for this. So we do not lie. In our home, we do not lie. You tell the truth, and if you tell the truth, then you won't, you won't, get, you won't get lickings. But if you do, you will. But if you tell the truth, you won't. Because there was a principle that was being instilled. And boy, did we have to enforce that a lot. But it finally sunk in. <laughs> but there are principles according to the word of God. Now, if I was, if I was not in the world, I could adopt a, the concept, well, a little white lie. Not a big deal. You know, all kids do that. But the, the weight of it came from the word of God. The, the consequence for this is hell. I can't treat it lightly. It can't just be this light thing and be like, oh, no big deal. So the word becomes our standard. The word becomes our standard. And we cannot live beyond what we don't know. If we don't know the word of God and if we don't have the revelation of the word of God, then the enemy will very easily be able to come in and deceive because we don't know. And he'll make it sound spiritual, and he'll make it sound right, and he'll make it sound whatever. But the word of God has to be our standard. Last story before we close. We had a, we had a lady come in one time, and, and she was, um, she's like, you know, the Lord told me to come here, and I know this is supposed to be my church. I'm supposed to be here. <clears throat> and she wasn't going to church anywhere before that. And so we were like, okay. You know how long it took before she, w she left? <laughs> Two weeks. Two weeks. Because of offense. And it had nothing to do, had nothing to do with even anything that we said. It had to do with, well, does your pastor ever have so-and-so in to preach? Well, yeah, he has a time or two, like a long time ago. Well, I'm done. What? That's what it took to knock you out of your faith walk? You see what I'm saying? It doesn't take much for some people. Whatever he can use, and the enemy knows what he can use and what will, what will shake a person. So he'll come with that very thing to try to get you to be knocked off course. And people think that it's just a, it's ju it just happened. It didn't just happen. The enemy sent it. So principles have to be in place in our life to keep us strong and for us to know this is not movable. Like I said, you don't allow the boundary stones to be moved. This is a non-negotiable. The enemy's trying to move it. He's trying to pick up that stone and move it in and say, this is my inheritance because he knows there's a blessing that comes with that principle if you'll keep it in place. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.
Minister, can you come to the keyboard? You know, there are things in life that, that the Lord deals with, with all of us on. <coughs> but it's to make us stronger. And we live in such a society that our, our, our standard in the world is, is really so fluctuating. You know, it, it's just based upon whatever, whatever whim and, you know. I mean, there's such a push now that you can't, you can't offend anybody. Everything's supposed to be tolerated, except for Christians, <laughs> except for us. You know, we're 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 the intolerable people. People want to want to uh, say, well, we have to tolerate everything, or you're unloving. But the Word of God doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It does not change, and we have to realize and, and look past what the world says fluctuates and understand that when we're committed to the things of God that no matter what his word says I'm going to stand on that word whether it's for my relationships my priorities the things that I say my speech, my actions. If you advance the kingdom of God, you'll never go backwards. If you're always moving forward in the things of God, if you're always advancing, if you're proclaiming. See, the problem is when people get silent and they stand in a neutral position. That's when things begin to slip in and you'll drift back. But if you're pushing forward and you know the vision, that God has given to you. And if you're part of this house, we have vision. And if you're part of that vision, you get the reward that also comes along with that. Because we all work together to see it done. And there's so many different ways of doing that. Well, it's just, it's just greeting someone at the door. It's just serving. It's just watching the kids. It's just this. It's just that. It, no. You're ministering. And when you're part of that, you're gaining the reward for that. It's not just pastors. It's not just evangelists. It's not just the fivefold ministry. We are a body, and we operate together. And that's where the enemy tries to slip in and corrupt principles and cause people to become shaky so that the body of Christ can't build momentum. And they don't have an impact because a group of people, a group of 200 is going to have more impact on this city than a group of one or two people. So when we bond together in unity, it takes principles and it takes commitment to the things of God, the word of God, the law of God. And we become unshakable because we stand together and in those moments when the enemy comes in and tries to get us to move and we need to grab a hold of somebody and say hey pray for me 
I need to see breakthrough in this area. I need to I need to be strong in this area. And I want you for accountability. I want you alongside me to help fight the battle because every person has things that we've still yet to learn and someone else has learned them. So grab a hold of someone who has to help give revelation.